Maybe you haven't noticed because it's something we're just so used to saying and doing. But have you noticed that the word mercy gets repeated a lot in our liturgy? It does. It's at least a dozen times. I haven't sat down to count it, but it's there a lot. And it's this theme of mercy that undergirds our gospel reading for today that you have heard repeated as well in our introit and gradual. Introit, of course, is the psalm that we say as we enter into the church, and the gradual is that psalm that we read between the first lesson and the gospel. And mercy is a very prominent theme. Not just in our liturgy, not just in our readings, but in the whole of the scriptures themselves and indeed the whole of the Christian tradition. But there's something that always goes with mercy that can complicate how we understand mercy. The thing that always goes with mercy in the scriptures and in the liturgy is justice. Also a synonym for justice is righteousness. Righteousness, the quality of being right and just and true. So in the scriptures and in the Christian understanding, justice and mercy go together. They are interwoven. They are two sides of the same coin. You can't talk with one. I can't talk about one without talking about the other, at least scripturally speaking. But from a human perspective, justice and mercy are often understood to be at odds with each other. From a human perspective, we tend to emphasize one at the expense of the other. Because it's hard for us to hold these things together. Because we tend to understand mercy and justice in opposition, not in collaboration or wholeness. Think of it this way. Individually, when I have been hurt, what is my demand? Justice. I demand justice. I have been wronged. I have been hurt. I have been victimized. I demand justice. In our reading from 1 Thessalonians, Paul exhorts the people, do not take advantage of one another. Don't defraud each other. If I get defrauded, what do I want? I want what's owed to me. Justice is owed. A debt quite literally needs to be paid in some cases. And I will not rest until justice is served. But what about when the shoe is on the other foot? What about when I am the one who has done the hurting? What do I want? Mercy. I want mercy. I know I was wrong. I know I've caused hurt. I know I've caused problems. I want mercy because justice is scary. Justice means there is a price to be paid Justice means that I am going to have to account for what I've done. So mercy, please, mercy. And so that odds, we tend to think that we can have only justice or mercy. That if we extend justice, mercy is not forthcoming. That if we extend mercy, justice somehow goes unappeased and unpaid. And this understanding of mercy and justice in opposition to each other leads to a vicious cycle of the victim becoming the agent. Children who are abused, they're victims of abuse. 
Statistically, what happens when those kids get older? They become abusers. Not in all cases, and I'm not suggesting that if you were abused that you were automatically, that's what's going to happen. Not, not what I'm saying. Similar, kids whose parents are alcoholics or drug addicts, what is statistically the probability as they grow older that they themselves will become alcoholics and drug users? Again, it's not to say that, um, that it's a fait accompli, that that's... But the, you see the, what I'm getting at, right? The, the victim often becomes the agent. The one who is hurt in their desire for justice often ends up hurting other people because I've been hurt and justice demands that people pay. And so this vicious cycle is because mercy and justice are out of sync. They're seen, as I said, in opposition to each other. And it leads to perpetual victimization and perpetual agenthood in this vicious cycle where the one hurt becomes the herder. And as they hurt and create other victims, those victims go on to become herders themselves. And theologically, we see this play out in the modern church. Modern theology tends to downplay individual sin and individual responsibility. The mantra goes in the modern church, as long as you're not hurting anyone, go do whatever you want. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's fine. But you ever wonder why the scriptures go on so much about sin? In our reading, first lesson, Paul is going on about sin, very clearly. And it's because sin always hurts people. We may think, well, it's just me, it's not hurting anyone, but Paul says, no, it does, it hurts you. It hurts the individual. So when we justify those sins that we fall into, because we expect mercy, of course God is merciful, so I can do it. It's not really hurting anyone, so it's not really a bad thing. Paul says, no, it hurts you. It does damage to your soul. It does damage to that place where you are marked as God's own, where his imagehood is imprinted on you. But the modern church kind of tends to ignore individual sins as being a bygone relic from a different age where personal sanctity and holiness and righteousness, that's for Puritans and other sorts of religious, you know, elitist kind of people. We're not worried about individual sin. But do you see where that kind of thinking leads to? It leads to precisely the kind of thinking that has plagued the church throughout its history, where people, clergy, Prominent individuals have been allowed to get away with perpetuating all kinds of abuse and terrible things because the church hasn't been able to find that balance between justice and mercy. Modern theology, as I said, downplays personal sanctity and holiness. Saints, those holy people, are their religious nut jobs and fuss pots from another age. We're not worried about the saints because they don't really teach us anything because they're stuck in a moralism from another age. Did God really say that we should be worried about all these things that Paul seems to be fixated on? Did God really say we should worry about what we're doing as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else? You get that refrain, right? Did God really say? Where did we hear, where have we heard that before? That's the father of lies, planting those seeds of doubt those seeds of questioning, those seeds that say, did God really say you couldn't eat of the fruit? 
So this downplays, right? It's not, there's no real sense. You don't have to worry about God's justice. At least when it comes to the individual, at least as long as you're not hurting anyone. Modern theology tends to overemphasize certain elements of justice. While it downplays individual righteousness and holiness, it tends to overemphasize and overfocus on social justice. Now, don't get me wrong, social justice is important. As the church, we have an obligation to care for the poor, to care for the brokenhearted, the dying, the sick, the marginalized. That's all part of our Christian marching orders. But the modern church has tended to overemphasize these things as if that's the only thing that matters, is social justice. We can dispense with individual justice and righteousness as long as we are doing something about social justice. People come first and God, well, if we have time and if I have energy, maybe I'll pray and maybe I'll spend some time reading scripture and meditating. But it's really important that first we focus on these great social issues. Again, not to say they're not important, but the way that they've been emphasized has actually detracted from what the scriptures are calling us to in terms of our life as Christians individually and our corporate witness in the world. And the other emphasis that gets thrown out of whack when it comes to mercy and justice is there are certain strands of theology that emphasize God's judgment as retributive and vindictive as God is some divine avenger. And we hear in our first lesson, Paul makes reference to that language. And I'll unpack that in a little bit later. But you know this kind of preaching, right? This turn or burn theology that God is just waiting to push the button on anyone who ticks him off so that he can eliminate you entirely. That God almost takes a certain pleasure in condemning these people that have ticked him off. I saw it on a church billboard once, right? Jesus is the bread of life, and if you don't believe in him, you're toast. Oh, no, no. But we know we get that kind of type, right? That God's justice demands that it be enacted and perfected in these ways, and the way we see God's justice is in the way that he shakes his head and says, not this time, buddy. You see how we get justice and mercy out of whack and out of sync, and the problem is because we fail to understand that righteousness and mercy, justice and mercy, are both attributes of who God is and how God acts. They are not at odds with each other because God cannot be internally at odds with God's self. So if mercy and justice are part of who God is and how God acts, then God has the proper balance of justice, righteousness, and mercy, because it's literally who he is and how he acts. That's why his judgments are true and good. Now, humans, our tendency is to forget God, especially when it comes to justice and mercy, because we have fallen into the trap that thinking time and time again that we can attain justice and mercy through our own efforts, through our own initiatives. And don't get me wrong, the history of the Western legal system, say what you will about lawyers, lawyers are awful, except for when we need them, but the Western legal tradition that we've inherited back from the Romans is a strong and good legal system, despite all its flaws. But we tend to think that the justice system that we have created as humans will be perfect, 
And that when it's not, well, we'll get it right this time. Just have to tweak a few things, do a few things, and everything will be okay. But we know of stories of people who have been wrongfully convicted and have served decades in jail, only to be found to be exonerated because they were completely innocent. And we know of our justice system where people get off who are completely guilty and who are released on a technicality. So despite how good our justice system may be, it is still human and it is still imperfect. And we're not going to get it right this time if only we adjust a few things. Our forgetfulness of God makes this improbable. And now as we live today in the most secular culture in human history, a culture that has forgotten God, a culture that is adamantly opposed to God, we've become simultaneously in our forgetfulness of God fixated on justice while refusing to extend mercy. That victim-agent dynamic is so strong in our society and culture today where everyone is a victim and everyone else is at fault. Where mercy is only for the weak, where mercy somehow erases justice. So in the name of justice, we must withhold mercy so that those so-and-sos who have perpetrated this awful, awful thing get what's coming to them. And if the, if the justice system isn't going to do it, I will make sure I will do it. We see this in the way that people treat each other online, this phenomenon of doxing, right? Of releasing someone's personal information just so anyone can have it. Why? Because they said or did something that I think is unjust. Doesn't make sense, does it? Especially if we're on the receiving end of that. My friends, if we are going to try to balance justice and mercy, we are better off to err on the side of mercy. We're better off to err on the side of mercy. Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now go and learn what this means. He's not saying that sacrifice is not important. As Christians, we are about to offer the high point of the sacrifice of Holy Communion, where we remember and re, uh, we, we participate in that sacrifice that Christ has made. But here Christ is saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, in terms of this way that the people then understood that mercy and righteousness were at odds with each other and that as long as the sacrifices were performed, you get a free pass from God for doing all that stuff. It's actually a way to avoid justice by, well, I gave the, the, the goat or the bull or whatever, so I'm good. But mercy and justice, because they are attributes of God, go together. So when Jesus tells us he wants mercy, not sacrifice, he's teaching us to find ourselves in the hands of the God who is mercy and to turn ourselves over to his merciful love, to understand what true righteousness and justice look like. So during this time of Lent, we are especially invited to reflect on God's mercy you see, when it comes to mercy, I am usually very merciful with myself. And when it comes to justice, I am hard on others and I'm lax on mercy for others. But what if we flipped the script a little bit and we said, no, 
I'm going to be merciful to others and I'm going to be hard on myself. Not in terms of beating myself up, but in terms of that honest reflection of where I so often go wrong, of where I fail to attain that sense of holiness because I'm so fixated on other people's sins, because I'm not able to extend mercy to those who have wronged me. I think the high, one of the high points of our Anglican tradition is that prayer of humble access, which we will say in just a few moments before Holy Communion, that perfectly, well, maybe not perfectly, but so well encapsulates and describes that balance between justice and mercy that can exist in the heart of God. So in closing, I want to offer you a thought experiment, something to ponder and meditate upon. We are told that the power of the victim is in demanding justice. But what if, what if we were to flip the script? What if the power of the victim was not in demanding justice? What if the power of the victim was in his or her willingness to extend mercy? To extend mercy to those who have hurt and perpetrated this violence? What if the power of the victim was to trust in the righteousness and justice of God, that God's justice will prevail and put all things to right, even if it doesn't happen now, but at his second coming? What if the perpetrator was not focused on a selfish fixation on mercy for his or herself, but instead the perpetrator says, justice must be served, that I will take responsibility for the wrong that I have done? What if? I think it would make a big difference. Because what it is is a refusal of vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Vengeance is God's prerogative, but God does not enact that prerogative in the way that humans do, in a retributive way, in a way that seeks to get back at, to pay. I'll make you pay. Because that's what human justice wants to do. But God's prerogative of vengeance is that he sets it aside in the name of reconciliation and restoration. God never enacts vengeance or condemnation. We see this most fully embodied on the cross where Jesus says, Father, forgive them. He has been wrongfully tried by human justice systems. He has been as a result of that sentence as the innocent victim tortured and executed and its forgiveness all the way down. And on the cross, we see that perfect alignment of mercy and justice. Father, forgive them. These are words to meditate upon during this Lenten season, and they are words to live by. So may we know that same justice and mercy in our own lives, and may we seek to extend that mercy, that just mercy to others. Thanks be to God.